Have you noticed in life that memories motivate? Just stop and ponder for a moment. Memories motivate. Think back over time. And remember some of the things that motivated you. A promise. Someone gave you a promise that they would help you. Perhaps a spouse that they would love you and care for you and be with you and you alone. Promises that you made. And you remember them. And how God enabled you to keep them and to fulfill them. Memories of good times when God blessed you. When He made provision for you that perhaps surprised you. Or maybe He just, in faithfulness to His promise, He blessed you. And He provided for you that which you needed. I can think back many times in my own life, and I don't like to use myself as an example too often, but I can remember some occasions in my life when God just performed a miracle. He did. And He's done that for some of you. Where He's worked in your life an unusual thing. And when that occurred, it enabled you to renew your strength and to trust Him even more, and to follow Him. And it encouraged you to love Him, and to worship Him. Memories motivate. We find that Moses used that truth as he prepared the children of Israel to go into the Promised Land. He used memories to motivate them and to prepare them to enter into the Promised Land. We've looked at many of those events in our recent studies. I want us to look at another one today, found in Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you have your scriptures, it's the fifth book in the Bible. If you start at the front and keep turning, you'll eventually find Deuteronomy. It's book number 5 as you progress from the very front of your Bible. Moses has taken the children of Israel through the wilderness. They now sit on the verge of entering into the promised land. They have wandered for 40 years. Many of their people have died along the way. There is a new young vitality in the group as they look across the river Jordan to the promised land. Moses won't take them across Joshua will lead them across. And to prepare the people for that grand and glorious entrance across the river into their promised land, Moses took time to prepare them for that event. The book of Deuteronomy records it. That's the book of Deuteronomy. He spends the whole book recording his preparation for their entrance into that land of promise. And the book is one of memory, reminding them of what God had done, reminding them of what God had taught them, reminding them of what God had commanded of them and demanded of them as His children. We come to one of those occasions recorded in chapter 4, where Moses reminds them of things that occurred in the past 40 years. 
I want to read just a few verses and then we will examine them in our study this morning. Starting in verse number 1 of chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 starting in verse number 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Balpeor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me in all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach them their children so. And you came near, and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going to possess. As Moses brought forth memories to the children of Israel, he reminded them of God's revelation of himself to them. God had revealed himself to these people. It began way back in Egypt and all through the Exodus and through the, the, the time in the, in the wilderness, God had revealed himself to them. And right here in this very first verse, Moses reminds them of that great promise the promised land. That goes back to Abraham. God had promised Abraham a land, the land that he traversed up and down in his life. And as he traversed through that land, God said, this is the land, I will give it to you and to your seed and to the generations after you. 
400 years had passed. Many of them had given up hope of ever seeing that land. Ah, but God is faithful. God is faithful. When He makes a promise, He keeps it. Always, always, always. And Moses reminded the people, God promised the land, He will take you there. You will enter the land of promise. Because of God's character, because of God's nature, He is a faithful God. And then he moved on to remind them of another aspect of of God's character and nature that he had revealed to them. And that is his sovereignty. And that is shown to us by the fact that Moses reminds them of the law. Remember God gave you commands. He gave them to me and I disseminated them out to you. And then he spoke to you out of the mountain, the law. Well, why could God do that? Because he's the sovereign God. He is the only God. There is no other. And because of who he is, and because of what he had done on behalf of the children of Israel, he could stand before them and say, Now therefore, because of what I have done, now therefore I command you this day to live in this fashion. And he gave commands to them. And Moses reminds them of God's sovereign rule and reign over them. They would enter the land because of God's faithfulness, but also because of His sovereignty. Because He rules and governs all things. And when He gave them the law, He showed to them His authority and His position over them. Then he reminds them of a bad time in their lives. Baal Peor. I won't quiz you this morning and ask you how many of you know what happened at Baal Peor. That's kind of an unknown event to many people. But a very significant one in the life of the children of Israel. The children of Israel, as they traversed through the wilderness heading towards the promised land, they went through a land of Moab. And the king of Moab saw this vast number of people and feared for his nation that they would come and overrun his nation and assume rulership and authority over them. That man's name was Balak. He devised a plan. I need someone to come, a prophet, who will come and prophesy evil against all of these people and therefore my nation will survive. He knew of a prophet by the name of Balaam. He sent emissaries to Balaam and asked Balaam to come to his land and prophesy against all of these people on behalf of his nation so that they would survive. Balaam came. But an interesting thing happened on the way. God spoke to Balaam and said, I know what you intend to do. You plan to go there at the request of Balak and to give a prophecy against 
the children of Abraham. But those are my people. You dare not speak an evil word against them. No evil will come out of your mouth. You cannot prophesy any evil against those people. They're my people. They're my chosen people. And you may not prophesy against them. When he came to Balak, he told Balak how God had spoken to him. And Balak, in great discouragement, said, Certainly something can be done. Can't you just say one little thing against them? Balaam said, Can't do it. Can't do it. But I can do this. I can show you how to entice them away from their God. And he did. He taught them how to entice the men of Israel to come into their temples and to worship their false gods and to commit adultery with the Moabitish women. That was at Baal Peor where that occurred. And God, as he looked down and saw the wickedness of his people, how they yielded to the enticement suggested by Balaam to the Moabites, he caused a great plague to come upon the men who committed adultery with the women of Moab. And on that day he slew 24,000 men for their wickedness and their sinfulness. Moses said, remember Baal Peor. Remember what happened there. God is a faithful God. He's a sovereign God. But he's also a God of judgment. He will judge sin. And if you go into that promised land and you commit sin like you did at Baal Peor, be reminded God will judge you. God is a holy God. And he judges sinful behavior. Oh yes, he's long-suffering and patient. And sometimes we don't experience the judgment immediately like they did on that occasion. But oh, don't take that as God somehow winking and passing over it. Oh no. Moses wanted to remind his fellow nation, the peoples of Israel, remember Baal Peor, because God will judge sin when you enter into the land, if you follow the practices as you did then. Moses wanted to encourage his children of Israel, his friends, his family, his loved ones, people whom he had grown to love, He wanted to encourage them before their entrance into the land by reminding them of God's personality, His nature, His faithfulness, His sovereignty, His justice. And that would encourage them to love God and to obey Him, 
to pursue and seek after him. So that when they went into the land and they encountered idol worshipping, which they would in that land, they would set it aside and they would instead worship the true and the living God as he had revealed himself to them. God was a God of presence to them. He had come and fellowshiped with them. And they experienced his presence. They saw it on the mountain. And God, through Moses, wanted to remind the people and prepare them for what lie ahead. You know, that fits us too, doesn't it? We need that reminder as well, don't we? We need to remember God's faithfulness, his sovereignty, and the ways in which he has manifested himself to us over the years of our lives. He does that to encourage us to worship him, to love him, to give him awe and respect and honor that he deserves. So that when we face the temptations and the difficulties of our everyday lives, which we do, we all face them, we can face them encouraged by the reality and the reminder of what God has done for us. So that we can trust Him, obey Him, and love Him increasingly as the days progress. As Moses reminded them of events in the past, he pointed out to them one specific thing that God had said to them, if you will obey me, here's what I will do for you. And we studied that. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 19. God had said to them, remember of what I've done for you, And if you will obey me, I will make you a nation above every other nation. You will be the prime nation in all the earth. And you will go out and you will speak to them. You will serve me as royal priests to these other nations. And you will reveal me to them. And they will come to know me like you have come to know me oh a great promise and Moses reminds them of that promise and he says keep God's law obey it follow it if you do the other nations will see you and they will say my oh my oh my what a great nation that is And they will marvel at your wisdom, at your understanding and your knowledge. And they will view the laws that you follow as wonderful laws. They won't despise them. They will worship them. They will see their righteousness. And they will call you a great nation. Moses reminded them that they could become a great nation. They wouldn't become a great nation because of their army or because of their wealth. They would become a great nation because of their obedience to God. He would make them great. He would elevate them above all of the other nations in accordance with his promise that he had made to them. 
What makes a nation great? Hmm. Not its wealth. Not its inventions. God makes a nation great. And he makes a nation great who worships and follows him. The word of God tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's what concerns many of us, doesn't it? That we see our nation founded upon worshiping God. Many of those people who came initially to this land to found it worshiped God. And we find that declining, don't we? And we see it. And it upsets us. Because we know our nation became great not because of its inventions and might and money but because of God. And we long to see that again, don't we? And we pray for that, that God would have mercy upon us and that He would restore our nation not built upon what humanity would call might and power but upon God and His Word. And Moses reminded his fellow travelers the nations of the world will view you as a great nation because of your obedience to God and his laws follow them obey them and you will become a great nation then we see Moses did another interesting thing he reminded them of how God redeemed them out of Egypt. Now you will recall from your Bible story history, your memory from your youth hearing the Bible stories of Israel's servitude in Egypt. 400 years they served in Egypt as slaves. And I mean dogged slaves. They forced them to make bricks to build their monuments. And in that day they used straw mixed with mud to form their bricks. And the servitude rules upon them forced them to go out and not only make the bricks, but to find the straw to make the bricks. They had to go out and gather all of the materials to form the bricks, and then they had to make the bricks, and they had to make as many bricks as they had to make when the straw was provided for them. Oh, very difficult servitude. And Moses reminds them of how God redeemed them out of that land. Brought them out of slavery. Brought them across the Red Sea. And brought them to Mount Sinai to meet with them there. And at that time, God spoke to them out of the mountain, and we read there of how the fire shot up into the heavens, and there was great clouds, and there was thunder and lightning, and the earth shook. Oh, what a terrible experience. And I don't mean a bad or terrible, but just a terrifying time of the awesomeness of God on display to their eyes, to their ears, to their minds, to their bodies. Revealing to Himself and manifesting Himself in their presence. Reminding them that He had redeemed them. And do you remember what it started with? A sacrifice. 
Passover. God instituted the sacrifice of Passover where they would sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, and they would rest inside safe and secure from the death angel who would come and bring destruction. They would reside in safety. A substitute. A lamb. And blood. A substitute for those within the house. God told them, I redeemed you and I reconciled you to myself to be my chosen people. How could they ever forget? He gave them the the ceremony of annually celebrating Passover at the same time every year to enable them to remember that day. And he said, teach it to your children and to your children's children and remind them of what great things I did for you. I redeemed you with a strong hand from your slavery and I set you free. That's what God has provided for us. These truths find their fullest completion in Jesus Christ. What we read in the book of Deuteronomy and what we've just reviewed very briefly of God's dealings with the children of Israel, they provide for us kind of a kernel of truth. Over recent weeks, my wife and I have traveled to Portland. You know Portland, not too far away, maybe 40 miles or so to the east of us. And we've made a practice of driving through the country instead of taking the expressway. And as we've gone through the countryside, we've watched a miracle taking place. Well, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The land fallow from the winter. The farmers come with their equipment and they prepare the soil. And then they plant the seed. And then as the rains come and as the heat of summer come, the plants begin to grow. And the fields that in early spring we observed as being barren and fallow now have corn plants three and four feet high. All from a kernel. That's what we see in Deuteronomy. The kernel. The little part of God's redemptive plan that he has for sinners. That began with his promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He promised them a champion. We see it progressing in God's revelation of His plan. We see it in the studies we've just looked at from the history of of Israel and God's working and dealing just a little bit more of the kernel, the plant's a little bit above a seed now. Oh, we see the full plant with the arrival of Jesus. The one whom the scriptures describe as with God because he was God. The same was in the beginning with God. By him all things are created. And he took on flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, took flesh like you have, hands like you and I have, hair, a beard, arms, legs, 
a body like you and I have. In that body resided the fullness of God, restored back in humanity as created initially, only far greater than Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were just an image of this was the real deal. This was God himself in human flesh. And he became that Passover lamb. He became that sacrifice. He became that one who fulfilled all of the law, all of those commandments that God back on Mount Sinai gave to the children of Israel, which they did not keep and obey fully. He did. He fulfilled them right to the smallest dot in the crossing of the T and the dotting of an I. To the minutest detail, he completed it all. Now why did he do that? Did he do that for himself? No, he didn't need it for himself. He was God. He didn't need to obey that law for himself. He did that as a substitute. Like the Passover lamb in Egypt. He became a substitute. And he fulfilled that law. And he allowed humanity to crucify him on a cross. That his blood might be shed there. To pay the penalty of sin. To redeem sinners like you and me. That's the fullness of the plant that we see just as a kernel in Deuteronomy. Jesus promised, he said, I will go away from you, but another will come. I will come again, and I will come to you through the Holy Spirit, whom I will pray the Father, and he'll come. And when the Spirit comes, the Father and I will come, and we will make our home in your bodies. Think of it. Think of it. Think of that. The children of Israel could only see a cloud. God's presence in the temple. God leading them. They could see the mountain shake and hear the lightning and the thunder, but it remember says they didn't see anything. Imagine now you and I have the privilege of housing God Almighty living within us by His Holy Spirit enabling us then to fulfill the law to obey the commands that God gave back on Mount Sinai so that we could walk in obedience so that we could fulfill all the commands that God gave so that we could become that great nation Not the nation of our homeland, but a people of God reaching out to other peoples who would see God at work in our lives, who would also come to worship Him. Hmm. And the Spirit of God came. We find that recorded in Acts chapter 2. He came. And all who call upon the name of the Lord 
will enjoy the experience and the reality of the indwelling presence of God by the Holy Spirit. Oh boy, let me tell you. Words fail me to try and describe that one. But you can experience that. I can experience that. Just as they at that day could experience the reality of God among them, we can experience the reality of God in us. In us. Enabling us to do that which we cannot do on our own. We have the privilege and the opportunity to apply in our own lives these truths. God provides them for us to encourage us to turn from self-reliance. One of the great problems of humanity plagues us all of our lives, doesn't it? Self-reliance. We have two little grandchildren, a boy and a girl. The boy is four. He'll be five this fall. And our little granddaughter is two. She'll be three in a few weeks. There are great phrases. I can do it, Grandpa. I can do it. I can do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And they push my hands out of the way, you know, wanting to whatever it is. Set the table, get the food, pour the milk. Oh, you know, you've got grandchildren too. You've had children. You know what that's like. And it's hard for us to realize we need God. We need Him to help us because we have grown up all of our lives depending upon our own strength. And we must set that aside. Our best, our righteousnesses, are as a filthy rag in the eyes of God. We need God. And we need to turn from our self-reliance and trust God and His provision for us in Jesus Christ. I encourage you, as Moses encouraged his friends to trust in God and to obey Him, I likewise follow His example. And I encourage you this morning to trust Jesus call upon him obey him love him revere him let's close the word of prayer